Amen. <clears throat> All right, well, we're there in uh, 1 Corinthians chapter number 9, and uh, I don't know if you remember, but uh, it's been a couple of weeks since we've actually been in 1 Corinthians. Uh, last Wednesday was uh, Valentine's Day, and I preached a sermon out of Song of Solomon uh, in regards to how to reignite romance in your marriage, if you remember that. And uh, so we took a break from 1 Corinthians, and now we're, we're back in 1 Corinthians. The last time we were in 1 Corinthians 9, uh, we, we dealt with the first 19 verses, and we talked about this uh, idea about whether pastors should get paid, because that's what the passage is about. Uh, tonight, we're going to deal with eight verses. We're going to go from verse 20 to verse 27. It's not very long, uh, so hopefully we can move through it quickly. Uh, but we're going to talk about uh, just some things about ministry here. And I want you to notice that there, there are several things in this passage that the Apostle Paul kind of teaches us about ministry. And the first one is, for those of you who like to take notes, I'd encourage you to take notes. Uh, point number one tonight is I'd like you to notice the methods of ministry. The methods of ministry. He talks to us here about certain methods that the Apostle Paul had or that he used in order to be highly used of God. Look at verse 20. He says, And unto the Jews I became as a Jew that I might gain the Jews. To them that are under the law as under the law that I might gain them that are under the law. To them that are without the law as without the law. Now, I want you to notice the statement there in parentheses, being not without law to God, but under the law to Christ, that I might gain them that are without the law. To the weak became I as weak, that I might gain the weak. He says, I am made all things to all men, that I might by all means save some. And he, he gives us here a method for his ministry. He says, I tried to uh, uh, become... I tried to identify as much as possible with the people that I was attempting to reach. He says, to the Jews, I became as a Jew. To them that are under the law, as under the law. To them that are without the law, as without the law. He says, I, I, to the weak, I became as weak. He says, I made all things uh, to all men that I might by all means say some. Look at verse 23. And this I do for the gospel's sake that I might be partaker thereof with you. And what the Apostle Paul is teaching here. He is saying that we should be willing to do whatever we can to reach people with the gospel of Jesus Christ. What he's saying is that we need to do, we need to be willing to try to remove as many obstacles as possible, any obstacles that might keep us from reaching people, and we need to try to do that in order to get people saved to an extent. And we'll talk about that here in a second. But uh, let me show you just a verse in the book of Acts. Keep your place in 1 Corinthians 9. That's our text for tonight. But go to the book of Acts. If you go backwards, you got, uh, you're going to go through Romans into Acts. Acts chapter number 15. Acts chapter number 15. And look at verse number 19. In Acts 15, you've got the early church there having, uh, they're having a committee and they're kind of talking through some things and they're trying to figure out, you know, things that they need to do, and I don't want to get too much into it because we're probably going to deal with it on Sunday night uh, when we're, we're going through our Action Church uh, series, but they're dealing with some issues and they're trying to figure out, you know, what exactly do they need to make people do in order to, to uh, you know, be part of a local church because they had some uh, people bringing false doctrine into a Gentile, uh, a church that was filled with Gentiles. They're basically trying to make them become Jews, you know, and get circumcised and things like that. And they're working through that. And I want you to notice what they said, what they came, their conclusion in verse number 19. Acts 15 and verse 19 says this, Wherefore my sentence is, 
He says, wherefore my sentence is that we trouble, I want you to notice this phrase, that we trouble not them which from among the Gentiles are turned to God. I want you to notice that James here, as the pastor, I believe the pastor of, of the church there, they, he listens to all of their testimony, and Peter talks, and Paul talks, and they, they, they discuss these things, and at the end, he, he comes to the end, and he says, you know, my sentence, my judgment, what I believe needs to be done is this, that we trouble not them which from among the Gentiles are turned to God. And here's what he's saying. He's saying, let's not put obstacles... Let's not put obstacles in front of people to try to make it harder for them to get saved. He said, look, if the Gentiles are turning to God, if they're believing on Jesus Christ, if they're getting saved, let's not tell them they got to get circumcised to be part of the local church because that might turn some of them away. Some of them might say like, well, if that's part of the deal, I don't want anything to do with it. You know? And by the way, you know, that's why adding works to salvation you know, is not only heresy, it's foolish you know, to try to make it harder for people. Look, today people attack this term, easy believism, but you know what? It's easy to believe. It's easy to get saved. And you say, well, you guys make salvation too easy. No, you know who made it easy was the Lord Jesus Christ because he did the hard part. He did the hard part. He died on the cross. He was buried. He rose from the grave. He carried the load so that we wouldn't have to. And here James is saying, look, let's not trouble them. Let's not make it harder for them. Let's not put obstacles. And that's what Paul's saying. If you go back to 1 Corinthians 9, he's saying, let's do everything in our power to try to make it easy for people to get saved. He says, if, if, if they're Jewish, then I'm going to just acclimate to that culture. And he says, if they're uh, uh, under the law, then I'm going to acclimate to that culture. If they're without the law, then I'm going to acclimate to that culture. If they're weak, then I'll acclimate to that. And, he, and he's not talking about sitting here. We're going to talk about that in a minute. But I want you to understand that this is, a, this is a good method of trying, you know, to get people saved and to help. And I was trying to think of this example, and I, I, should have, I should have wrote this down before. But I've heard of, you know, we're talking a lot about the Philippines. I've heard of missionaries in the Philippines. And I don't know if they all do this, but I've heard of missionaries. I guess in the Philippines, Brother Jeff, maybe Brother Jeff can help me out. In the Philippines, don't they have like a, like a special shirt that people wear for like, like that's kind of considered nice clothing? Do you know what I'm talking about? Yeah. What, what is that called? Baron. I mean, what is it? Baron? Baron, yeah. did I say it right? Baron, is he is he telling the truth, Miss Tan? Miss Tan's not here. Yeah, Baron, who know who? Baron, is that what it is? Yeah, you know, I've heard of missionaries in the Philippines. You know, independent formal Baptists. I don't know that they all do this, but you know, in, in America we wear shirts and ties, right? We wear a shirt and a tie and a coat. I've heard in the Philippines that they wear, you know, this baron, a lot of them, which is like a nice Filipino shirt. It's kind of like the equivalent of putting on a shirt and tie. And they don't put on a shirt and tie because it's like a million degrees or something, you know, or whatever. And you say, oh, do you think that's bad? Do you think that's liberal? I don't, you know, to the Philippines, I became as a Filipino is what Paul would say, you know? Now, Brother Stucky tried to show up with one of those barones on, you know? And I said, you go home and put on a shirt and tie. No, I'm just kidding. But, you know, what I'm saying is there's nothing wrong with trying to acclimate and trying to be like the people that you are reaching. I've heard of missionaries that, you know, went to China. I, I, I want to say it was a Hudson Taylor who went to China, you know, back in the early 1900s or whatever, and he changed the way he, he dressed, and he dressed like, like the Chinese to try to be more like them. There's nothing wrong with that. And, you know, today we need to try to look at our culture and use the good things, the things that are not sinful, 
to try to reach people with the gospel of Christ. Let me give you one example of something that we're doing here at Verity Baptist Church and churches like ours, churches that are like-minded. You know, the churches that we would consider in our movement or whatever, you know, whatever that means, is something that we do really well is that we've used technology as a tool. You know, and that's something that a lot of Baptists are, are behind on. But, you know, it's smart to use technology. It's smart to use YouTube. It's smart to use social media. It's smart, you know, and you can use those things as a sinful thing and to waste time and to fight and to argue. But it's smart to use those things. You say, why? Because, you know, we live in a culture today where people are into technology. They have a lot of technology. So it just makes sense that we would also use technology. You know, to the techies, we became as techies, right? To try to reach them, to try to help them. There's nothing wrong with that. And that's what Paul's saying. He's saying to the weak, I became as weak. To the strong, I became as strong. To them under the law, as under the law. To them that are without the law, as without the law. Why? That I might, by all means, he says, save some. Look at verse 23. And this I do for the gospel's sake, that I might be partaker thereof with you. And he's, he's saying, look, we need to do everything we can to not put obstacles. We need to do everything we can to not trouble them which from among the Gentiles are turned to God. But there is one caveat to that. There is one disclaimer. We saw it already, but let's look at it again in verse 21. He says, To them that are without the law, as without the law, but then he says this in parentheses. He says, Being not without law to God, but under the law to Christ. And I want you to notice what he says. He says, I went to all these different nations and cultures and different societies, and I just tried to acclimate to them. I tried to act like them. I tried to dress like them. I ate the food they ate, and I did those things. But he says, I was never under the law. He said, I might have not been under their law or under the law that I'm accustomed to. But he said, being not without law to God. He said, there was never a time when I was not under the law of God. He said, I was always you know, acting in a way that was lawful or right to God, but under the law to Christ. And here's what he's saying. He's saying, no matter where I went, I never transgressed the law of God. He said, no matter, he said, I tried to act like the culture. I tried to act like the society. But if the culture or the society was doing something that was against the laws of God, then he said, that's where I stopped. Do you understand what he's saying? And here's what you need to understand, because today, the liberal Christians of today will take 1 Corinthians 9, verses 20 to 23, and they'll use it as their ticket to say, well, look, you know, to the hip-hop culture, let's become like hip-hop, you know, Christians. And to the, and, and in the South, where people like, you know, the country music, then let's, you know, take country music and just add the name of Jesus to it. And, 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 you know, to the, to the, to the Southerners, we'll become like these Southerners and to the hip-hop people, you know, and, and to people that like light rock, then we'll bring in the contemporary. And they'll take this as an excuse to try to be like the world. But look, it's fine to try to identify. It's fine to try to be with them or be like them to reach them, but we should never sin against the laws of God. We are always under the laws of God. So you know, God has certain laws. There's certain things that God does not desire for us to do. And no matter where you are, what culture you are, we are always under the law of God. And it's interesting that Paul says that because you know, Paul is living in the New Testament and he says, I was under the law of God. 
And today you got a lot of people say, the law of God doesn't apply to us in the New Testament. We're under grace. We're not under law. Well, Paul didn't get that memo. Because Paul said, wherever I went, wherever I went, I was always under the law of God. I was always under the law of Christ. Go backwards to the book of Romans. Romans chapter number 12. Romans chapter number 12. And you know, today you've got a lot of silliness and foolishness that's being done under the banner of reaching people with the gospel and it's not pleasing to God. Because we've decided to try to take the world's methods, the world's music, the world's you know, way of being, and then we're going to say, well, we're going to reach them because that's what Paul did. Yeah, except you miss the fact that Paul said, I was always under the law of God. I was always under the law of Christ. I never did something that was sinful and wrong to reach people. Romans chapter 12 and verse 1 says this, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. Look at verse 2, and be not conformed to this world. That is a command of God. You know that we are not to be conformed to this world. And you know what? I do think it's sinful for the pastors in the United States of America. You know, you've got these 50-year-old pastors with these big old bellies, you know, in their tight little skinny jeans with their holes, you know, and their little tight shirts, and they're trying to act like they're a teenager. And, you know, you say, well, they're just trying to be like their culture. No, you know what? They have some, what they're doing is they're just conforming to this world. And they bring in the world's music. They bring in the world, you know, they make church, you know, feel like a casino. You know, or they make church feel like a rock concert. They turn all the lights off. They put the spotlights on, you know, and they got the, the smoke coming up. You know, we should not be conformed to this world. The Bible says, and be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of the mind. The Bible says, love not the world, neither the things that are in the world, for all that is in the world. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life, is not of the Father, but is of the world. Go to the book of Numbers, Numbers chapter 24. Numbers chapter 24. In the Old Testament, you've got Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers. Numbers chapter 24. And today, the evangelical world is trying to use the world's tools and the world's methods to evangelize the world. And again, there's nothing wrong. There's nothing wrong with using tools. You know, like, for example, I've had people say, oh, you know, we should focus more on the Internet and less on soul winning. Uh, no, you know, because the Bible never mentions the Internet, but it does mention going out two by two, house to house, and reaching people with the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now, here's the thing. I don't think there's anything wrong with using the Internet to reach people as long as we're also doing what God told us to do. Do you understand what I just said? But as soon as you decide, no, let's not use God, you know, and here's the thing, using the internet to live stream church services, to put the preaching out, to get videos out, there's nothing sinful about that. There is something sinful about bringing in, you know, the world's music, lowering the standards, not preaching the gospel, compromising in order to try to be like the world, because we're going to reach them in that way. Are you there in Numbers 24? Look at verse, uh, Numbers 24, look at verse 12. And I'm not going to go through this whole story, but in Numbers, you've got this story of Balaam. Remember Balaam? Balaam, and, and, and one of these days I need to preach an entire sermon on Balaam, and I don't have time to develop it. But I want you to understand that Balaam was a bad guy. In fact, Balaam in the New Testament is referred to as a false prophet, and he's actually put in the context of being a reprobate. All right? He gets killed later on in his life when righteous people in the nation of Israel kill him. And Balaam is basically, if you look at the story, he 
wants to go and help the Moabites and help the enemies of God, but God doesn't allow him. And if you remember, you know, if you remember the story with the donkey, you know, and, and all of that, you know, basically the only reason that he's not, that he's not doing what he's being asked to do is because he's scared to death that God is going to kill him. Because God basically told him, you can go, but you're going to say what I say, or I'm going to kill you. And God was already, you know, if you don't understand that story about Balaam, the reason that God was going to kill him on the way is because he was going to go and just say whatever he wanted to say. And God wanted to make sure he understood. And that's kind of the context of Numbers 24. But look at verse 12. So he goes, he goes there, and he's supposed to curse the people of God. You know, let me, let me just give you a little more of the story before we jump into verse 12. He's supposed to curse the people of God. He's getting paid to do that. And he doesn't. And he does that over and over again. He does it three times. Look at verse 12. And Balaam said unto Balak, Spake I not also to thy messengers which thou sentest unto me, saying, If Balak would give me his house full of silver and gold, I cannot go beyond the commandment of the Lord to do either good or bad of mine own mind. And here's what he's saying. He, and you, it sounds like he's saying a good thing. He's saying, I can only say what God says. But you got to understand, in his heart, he wants to. He wants to curse the people of God, but he's scared to death of God. And he's saying, I don't care how much money you give me. I can't do what's in my own mind, what I would like to do. I, he said, I want to help you, but I can't. But what the Lord saith, last part of verse 13, that will I speak. Look at verse 14. And now behold, notice what he says. I go, so, so he, he says, I can't help you. I can't curse them. I can only bless them. I can only do what God told me to do because I'm afraid that God is going to kill me. And then he says this to Balak. He says, but here's what I can do for you. Notice what he says, verse 14. And now behold, I go to my people. And he says to Balak, this wicked king, come therefore, and I will, notice this word, advertise. Is that word advertise? I will advertise thee, talking about Balak, talking about the world, talking about the people of the world. I will advertise thee what this people, talking about God's people, shall do to thy people in the latter days. He says, here's what I can do. He says, God won't let me curse them for you. God won't let me get the paycheck that I want to get from you. But here's what I can do for you, Balak. I can, and he uses this word, advertise. He said, I can take the world and advertise it to God's people. And I can take God's people and try to advertise them to the world. And what's the result? Look at verse 1 of the next chapter. Numbers 25 and verse 1. And Israel abode in Shittim, and the people began to commit whoredoms with the daughters of Moab. And if you know the story, God kills a bunch of them, and the judgment of God comes down. And they're committing whoredoms. Why? Because Balaam said, let me advertise the world to God's people. Let me bring the world into God's people. And let me unite the world. And it ended up that they committed whoredoms, and God's judgment came down. And here's all I'm trying to tell you. That's exactly what the false prophets of today are doing. I used to have a pastor. You know, Billy Graham just died today. I used to have a pastor who would call Billy Graham Billy Balaam. You say, why do you call him Billy Balaam? Because you know what Billy Graham, you know, people say, oh, Billy Graham is this great man of God. You know what? Billy Graham was advertising the world to God's people. And Billy Graham was not a good man. Billy Graham was not even saved. Hey, Billy Graham is burning in hell right now. You say, well, I can't believe that you would say that. Well, you know, I can say that on the authority of the Word of God. You know why? Because I've heard Billy Graham with my own ears, and you can look this up if you don't believe me, saying, you know, he says, Muslims are going to go to heaven. 
Hindus are going to go to heaven. As long as they follow their own, you know, Christians, we follow Jesus, but, you know, the Muslim and the Hindu, excuse me, Billy, Billy Balaam, but Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and life. No man cometh unto the Father by me. Billy Graham said, he said, you know, they might be on their way to heaven. They might not even know the name of Jesus and still be on their way to heaven. Well, you know, the Bible says that there is none other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. Talking about the Lord Jesus Christ. So you know what? If he believes that, then he's not saved. And, and, and he's a false prophet. He's a reprobate. He teaches hardcore repent of your sins. The guy, and today you got Christians. I'm sure you got Christians, you know, even saved people all over America today just, oh, you know, pray for the Graham family. You know what? Billy Graham was a wicked false prophet. And all he did was hurt this country because you know what he did? He brought in Colonel Sanders, you know, if you know anything about Billy Graham and his big crusades or whatever. Actually, I think that was Jerry Falwell. I shouldn't have called, uh, I shouldn't accuse him falsely. I think that was Jerry Falwell. But he brought, you know, his big crusades, he brought in all this worldly music. He had these big, you know, crusades. But here's the thing, you know why he had these big crusades? Because he never said anything that would offend anybody. Because, you know, if I brought a bunch of Muslims and Hindus into a big coliseum and I said, hey, you guys all need to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ or you're going to die and go to hell, you know, a bunch of them would get offended. But if I get up and say, hey, just do whatever. We're all going to make it to heaven. God loves everybody. No one's going to get hurt. You know, yeah, that's why he was the most popular preacher in America. And, you know, people, and people don't like this preaching, but listen to me. They take it too far when they say, oh, well, we got to become like the Hindus. No, no. When you're worshiping Hindus God, you, you took that too far. You're always under the law of God. You're always under the law of Christ. You know, and today, that's, that's what Joel Osteen's doing. With his big rock concert. You say, oh, but Joel Osteen has the biggest church in America. No, you know what Joel Osteen does? Is he runs a rock concert every weekend. Okay? Rock bands do that all the time. They got, you just bring in, and people act like, oh, these people are anointed. They got, look. If I just stopped preaching, you know, because, I, you know, if I just got up here and just said, God loves everybody, God loves you, I know you're a drunkard and a fornicator and whatever, but it's fine, no big deal, God loves you, took an offering and then just let some rock band, you know, uh, sing for an hour, people would come here too. Hundreds of people would come to our church. You know, it's not that these people have some big, great method. It's, it's the same thing that the world does. They're just doing it in church. And, you know, they're Balaamites. Billy Balaam. And, and all, you know, just look at the Christian community today, by and large. And what is it? It's just the world. It's the world. And they just put the name of Jesus on there. And they just act like the world. They look like the world. And I remember I used to go, go, go to 1 Corinthians 9. I used to have a friend, not really a friend, just a, a co-worker, someone I worked with. He was a Pentecostal, but he, 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 was, he was telling me how he went to this Pentecostal church where they, list, they had like Christian rap music, you know. That's pretty bad when you got Christian rap music, you know. And, um, he, and, he, and, and you know, he used to listen to gangster rap, but now he's on the Christian rap. You know, and he was trying to be a witness to his 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 friends or whatever. And he told me he told me that he quit listening to to the Christian rap music. And I, I said, why? And he, this is the story he told me. He said, you know, the reason I stopped listening to that music is because I was trying to like witness to my friends and get them in church, you know, and get them out of their whatever. And he said there was one there was one time when there was an individual that I was I was trying to like minister to. He said I was in my car and I was just blasting my Christian rap, you know, and I come to this red light and right next to me is my, you know, my homeboy, right, <laughs> my buddy, you know, and he's blasting his whatever, 
you know, non-Christian rap. And then this other person, this guy knew a lot of people in his neighborhood, you know, this other person that knew them both was crossing the street, and he, like, looked at, he made eye contact, and he said, hey, and he looked at the other person, and said, hey, and he just thought to himself, like, I wonder if this person sees any difference between me and that guy. Because our music sounds the same. Our cars look the same. We both can't figure out how to put our, you know, hat on straight. You know, we both got pants that are sagging down. You know, we, we look exactly the same. And here's what I'm trying to tell you. Yeah, that's true. You know, they say, oh, we got we to gotta reach him. But look, what you reach him with is what you'll keep him with. And we need to make sure that we're not using the world's methods. And we need to make sure. And you say, well, it worked for Billy. Ask Billy about it now. You know, well, well, he reached people. He didn't reach anybody. You don't reach anybody. when you, And look, let me tell you something about the Billy Graham Crusades. You know, he had these big, you know, altar calls at the end. But you know, what? He, here's what he would do. He would bring in all, it was a big ecumenical service. He'd bring in, the Catholic Church was a part of it. You know, all the Protestant churches, they all came down. And when these people came down to the altar, they would ask them, oh, what religion are you? Oh, I'm, I'm a Roman Catholic. And they said, okay, we have a Catholic priest here to talk to you. Oh, oh, what are you? I'm a Luther. Oh, we've got a Lutheran minister here to talk to you. Oh, what are you? You're a Baptist? Oh, we got a Baptist here to talk to you. So all those people walking down that aisle, none of them were getting saved. People say, like, oh, I got saved at a Billy Graham. You know, maybe, the ba- maybe you told them you were a Baptist and the Baptist actually got you saved. I don't know. But when they walked down and said I was a Roman Catholic, they just talked to another Roman Catholic. And it was just this big, you know, thing to say that Billy Graham was so great. The guy was a heretic. The guy was a false prophet. And, you know, he, here's what he was doing. He was advertising the world to God's people. And he was trying to, sh- you know, just mix the two. And we need to just understand that that is not a proper method of ministry. And you say, well, if you did that, you'd reach more people. You know what? We need to make sure we're right. We don't need to make sure that we're honoring the Lord Jesus Christ. We need to make sure that we are always following what God says. And we need to understand that we are not without law to God, but we are under the law of Christ at all times. And our methods need to be methods that are effective and will help people. But you know what? We need to always make sure that we are honoring the Lord Jesus Christ. Go, go back to 1 Corinthians 9. 1, 1 Corinthians 9. Look, when a devil like Billy Graham dies, you've got to mention him, right? That's right. Amen. 1 Corinthians 9. First Corinthians 9. And if you're here tonight and you're like, I can't, you shouldn't say that. You know, you need to either do some research or you need to read the Bible. Amen. Because, these, look, let me, let me give you a hint. When the world loves you, you're bad. All right? You want to know the biggest hint for a false prophet? Does the world love you? You say, how do you know if a, if a prophet is right? Just look up their Google reviews. All right? If most people are like, ah, oh, this guy, he's a hate preacher. He's probably a good guy. You know, when they're like, he's the greatest thing in the world. He's probably a bad guy, all right? Because Jesus said that if we were of the world, the world would love us. You know, let me explain something to you about the ministry of Jesus Christ. You say, oh, he, Jesus Christ. They, at the end of his ministry, they killed him. That's how much they loved him. They, they put him to death, all right? And you say, well, because people attack me or, you know, preachers like me. will say, well, you guys must not be Christ-like because the whole world loves you because all these people want to crucify you. I'm like, man, can I get any more Christ-like? <laughs> You know, I, pre- I preach for three and a half years and they want to kill me? That sounds like Jesus Christ. That sounds, it doesn't, you know, I don't remember the Lord Jesus Christ just being a multi-millionaire, you know, having private jets and just being loved by the whole world. I, I don't know what New Testament you're reading, but that's not the one that, uh, that I've got. Anyway, go to 1 Corinthians 9. Let's move on to that. Number one, we got the methods of ministry. The methods of ministry. Number two, not only is there methods of ministry, but there's also motives 
for ministry. Notice verse 24. Know ye not that they which run in a race run all. Now I want you to notice that. He says, know ye not that they which run in a race run all. And here's what you need to understand. When you got saved, when you got saved, you got enlisted into the army of God. You got enlisted into the race that is set before you, whether you like it or not. Do you understand what I just said? You, when you got saved, say salvation was a free gift. Absolutely. Absolutely. You don't have to earn it. There's nothing you can do. And there's nothing you can do to lose it. But whether you like it or not, or whether you want to admit it or not, when you got saved, you became a child of God and he placed you in a race. He placed you in a battle. You are in the fight. He says, know ye not that they which run in a race run all, but one receiveth the prize. Then he says this, so run that ye may obtain. He's saying, look, you're you're in the race whether you like it or not. You might as well run. He said, you're in the race whether you like it or not. You might as well so run that ye may obtain. And every man that striveth for the mastery is temperate in all things. Now they do it to obtain a corruptible, but we an incorruptible. And here's what he's saying. There should be motivation. There are motives for ministry. What is the motive? The motive is that we want to be pleasing to our Heavenly Father and we want to win for Him. We want to win the battle. We want to win the race. We want to get the reward. You're there in 1 Corinthians 9. Flip, flip back to 1 Corinthians chapter 3. 1 Corinthians, uh, 1 Corinthians chapter number 3. And look at verse number 13. 1 Corinthians chapter number 3. See, the Bible says that there is a reward that God wants to give us for living the Christian life. 1 Corinthians chapter 3. And look at verse number 13. 1 Corinthians chapter 3. And verse number 13, notice what the Bible says. Every man's work shall be made manifest. For that day shall declare. And by the way, you don't get to decide whether you're going to stand at the judgment seat of Christ either. Notice every man's work. Every human will be there and it will be made manifest. For the day shall declare it because it shall be revealed by fire. The fire thereof shall try every man's work of what sort it is. If any man's work abide, which he hath built thereupon, he shall receive a reward. The Lord Jesus Christ said, uh, you know, he said, uh, let me see if I can find this real quick. He said, behold, I come quickly and my reward is with me. And, and I can't think of the reference now, but he talks about coming with his reward. He, comes, he talks about the fact that he's going to give us rewards, that we're going to stand there. And here's what you need to understand. Because today, you know, what people say, have said this to me. They say, oh, you know, I'm just happy to be saved and I don't want to get a reward in heaven. You know, it's okay. If I get to heaven and I don't get any rewards, that's why I'll just be happy to be there. You know, and they try to turn. It's always funny to me. It's interesting to me how when you talk to people that are backslidden, they always try to turn their backsliding into, like, spirituality. You know, they always try to turn their, like, their, their sin into acting spiritual. And here's what I need, to, need you to understand. It's not a choice whether you're in the race. When I was a, when I was a kid... Uh, we, we, we were in a Christian school, and it was a, and I'm, I'm not for Christian school. I'm not endorsing Christian school, whatever. You know, I, I think homeschooling is the way to go, so just you know, don't send me an email. But we were in a Christian school, and um, you know, the Christian school was a real small school, and we had a sports team, and um, you know, soccer and basketball and things like that. And the rule was that if you were in the school, you were on the team. Because they had to, they just, it wasn't like you didn't try out and make it. If you're in the school, you're on the team. 
because of the fact that there was only a certain amount of students. It was a real small school, so if they were going to have a team, everyone had to play. You know, it was fine with me. I didn't like it when we played basketball because I don't like basketball because basketball is not for people like me, all right? But, you know, I really liked it because I, I like playing soccer. And, you know, I was on the soccer team. But there was a kid on our team who did not want to be there. You know, he was in the race. He was on the team, but he did not want to be there. He was just there because he had to, because he was part of the school, you know. And, and we would literally be playing these soccer games, you know, in uniform, playing another school or whatever. And, you know, you'd kick the ball over to him. He was open. And here's what he'd do. And the ball would go by him. And it was like... And, and, you know, here's what he was telling everybody. I don't want to be here. I'm in the school, but I don't care. He was just trying to, sh- he's trying to tell his mom and his dad and the pastor of the church and the teachers and everybody else on the team, he was telling them, I don't care. I don't care if we win. I don't care if we get a championship. I don't care if we get the trophy. I don't care. I don't want to be here. And you know what? You're in the team whether you like it or not. And when you get to that judgment seat of Christ and you're standing like this and everybody's getting the rewards and you don't get one, you know what you're telling everybody? I don't care. You know what you're saying? The Lord Jesus Christ, I just didn't care. I know I was on the team. I know I was supposed to run. I know I was supposed to fight. I just didn't care. I just didn't want to be there. I don't care if I don't get a reward. That's what you're saying. And Paul is t- he's saying, look, you are in the race. Everyone's in the race. If you're saved, they run all. So he says, since you're in the race, run! Since you're in the race, Run that ye may obtain. He says, run that ye may get a, a, a reward. He says, run that you may get an incorruptible crown. Because look, all it's going to tell the Lord Jesus Christ on that day is that you just didn't care. And look, I'm not trying to hurt your feelings. But if you're not involved in the ministry of the Lord Jesus Christ, the truth of the matter is, you just don't care. And you can say, oh no, I can't show up to soul winning because I'm too busy. No, no, it's not that you're too busy. It's that you just don't care. Oh, no, I can't go to Soy because I just work so hard and I'm tired. Like, you're the only one that has a job? It's not that you're too tired. Just say it. Just admit it. I don't care. I don't care. I don't care what God says. I don't care what the Bible says. And I don't even care if people die and go to hell. I don't care. Because that's really what you're saying. That's what our friend was saying. I don't care. Don't throw me the ball. You know what we stopped doing? Throwing the ball. And some of you guys were like, hey, here's the pass. Go get somebody saved. And he's like, I don't care. I don't want to be here. I got enlisted. I got put into the team. I didn't want to. But you know what? You're going to regret that. You're going to regret that when you get to heaven because that's how we're going to know, we're going to show the Lord Jesus Christ that we loved him. See, the rewards, because you can't earn your salvation. And you know what the rewards show? The rewards show that I worked for you even though I didn't have to. I knew that I, had, I, knew that I could go to heaven. I knew that I could go to heaven without doing anything but I did it anyway for you. And you know what it will show when you have no rewards? I didn't care. I got my gift, and I, did, I just did not care. Go, to, go back to 1 Corinthians 9. Look at verse 25. 1 Corinthians 9, verse 25. Notice what he says in verse 25. And every man that striveth for the mastery, why don't you notice these words, is temperate. Is temperate in all things. That word temperate means to be self-controlled. And I want you to understand, there's not only in this passage, not only do we see the method of the ministry, not only do we see the motives for the ministry, but we also see the mastery in ministry. And I want to explain that word to you. The word mastery means to control or to have uh, superiority over someone or something. And when we're talking about the mastery in ministry, 
What we're talking about is you having control over yourself. If you are going to survive or thrive in ministry, not only do you have to have the right methods, not only do you have to have the right motives, but you need to understand that there has to be mastery over yourself. There has to be temperance over yourself. There has to be self-control. And every man, here's what he's saying. He's using a sports analogy. Look at verse 25. And every man that striveth for the mastery is temperate in all things. He says, look, if you're going to succeed, if you're going to win, you're going to be temperate in all things. These athletes, you know, in the Olympics, these athletes in professional sports, you know, they don't get there by, you know, sleeping in and eating chips and, you know, having ice cream every night. You know, people that are successful in sports are temperate, are self-controlled, and all things. Now they do it to obtain a corruptible crown, but we an incorruptible. Verse 26. I therefore so run, not as uncertainly, so fight I, not as one that beateth the air. Verse 27. But I keep under my body. That's talking about self-control. But I keep under my body and bring it into subjection. What does that mean? What does it mean to bring something into subjection? I mean you are controlling it. You are making it submit. You are making it, you know, obey you. He says, why? Lest that by any means, when I preach to others, I myself should be a castaway. Go to, go to Luke uh, chapter 9. Keep your place in 1 Corinthians. Go to Luke chapter 9. We're almost done. 1 Corinthians, uh, Luke chapter 9, verse 23. You need to understand something about the Christian life, okay? Remember in the book of Revelation, it talks about, the church of Ephesus, how they left their first love. A lot of people get saved and get excited about the things of God when they first get saved. You know, they're excited and they love the Lord and things are great. But you know, eventually that excitement wears off. And let me just explain to you the secret to living the Christian life, okay? It's found in one word, duty. Duty. Because look, duty makes you do, duty makes you do what you should do even when you don't want to. You're there in Luke 9, look at verse 23. And he said to them all, if any man will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. See, Jesus said, if you're going to follow me, you're going to have to learn to deny yourself. You're going to have to, what does that mean? You're going to have to learn to say no to yourself and to take up your cross how often do I have to do this? Daily. Daily and follow me. Go back to 1 Corinthians. Go to chapter 15 and verse 31. 1 Corinthians 15, 31 says, I protest by your rejoicings, which I have in Christ Jesus our Lord. 1 Corinthians 15, 31. Look at the last part. He says, I die daily. Paul said every day, every day I wake up and I look in the mirror and I tell myself, I am dead to self. I die. I deny myself today. Look, if you're going to live the Christian life, because here's the thing, if everybody's excited to go soul winning when they first go soul winning, everybody's excited about church when they first come to church, everybody's excited about the things of God when they first, you know, get involved in the things of God. It's, talk, it's talking about having your first love. But when that wears out, when that wears out, are you going to continue? That will require duty. And listen to me, I would not give you a dime for this Christianity and I've seen it a lot over the last seven, however many years. This Christianity that says, I, just don't, I don't want to go to church anymore because it's not fun anymore. 
It's, it's not fun. You know, soul winning is it's not fun anymore. Who, whoever told you it was fun? I, we, we never said it was fun. We said people are going to hell. That's what we said. And you know what? Duty makes you get out of bed. Duty makes you show up for soul winning. Duty makes you read the Bible. When you don't want to read the Bible anymore, you were real excited when you were in Psalms. But now that you're in Leviticus, you know what? Duty kicks in. And you say, I will read. I will go. I will show up. Look, you need to just figure out how to develop some duty mindset in your life. It'll help you in every area of life. It'll help you show up to work on time. It'll help you make sure you're eating right. It'll help you in every area. If you just say, I'm going to deny myself and do what I'm supposed to do. And here's what Paul says. Paul says, if you want to win in the game called ministry, if you want to win in this battle that we call the ministry of the Lord Jesus Christ, you need to not only have the right methods, you need to understand the right motives, and you need to make sure you understand the mastery. Because there's too many Christians, look, we're failing, we're failing in this thing of reaching people with the gospel. We're failing at it. And I'm not trying to hurt your feelings. I'm just telling you, we are failing at it because we have too many Christians who do not tell themselves what to do. You don't, I don't feel, I just don't feel like it. I just don't feel like going to church. I just don't feel like reading the Bible. I just don't feel like staying married. I just don't feel, you know, I just don't feel like it. I'm just, you know, I don't feel like going soul winning. I'm thinking, about, you know, people say like, oh, I don't, I don't feel well. It's like, what, what, when, I don't ever feel well. You know, I don't ever feel like going soul winning. Look, if, 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 every, if you came into my uh, bedroom on Saturday morning and said, hey, you can go soul winning today. You know, it's raining and it's cold outside. You can go soul winning today, or you can stay in bed and have a Cold Stone milkshake. I'd, my flesh would pick the Cold Stone milkshake every time. Say, oh, you're not spiritual. No, you just, what I'm telling you is sometimes you just got to make yourself do what you don't want to do. Sometimes you just got to make yourself get up and read the Bible. Get up and have time with the, with the Lord. Sometimes you just make yourself show up for Wednesday. And I know I'm preaching to the choir, but you know, show up for Wednesday night and show up for Sunday and show up and just do what you're supposed to do. That's how you win. That's how you win in the Christian life. And Paul is telling us here, Paul said this, I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. He says, yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. And the life that I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Paul said, every day I wake up and I crucify myself that Christ might live through me. How would it change your life if you woke up tomorrow morning and you said, you know what, today I'm dying to self, and today this life will be lived for Christ. And I will do what Christ wants me to do. And I will do what Christ has asked of me. I will not allow my flesh to control me. I will deny myself and follow the Lord Jesus Christ. I wonder what kind of impact we could make in this community. If the 120 of you that are here tonight, if the 120 of us that are here tonight would wake up every day and say, I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. Yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. Let's bow our heads and have a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, thank you, Lord, for your word. Thank you for these passages in Scripture that motivate us and help us. Lord, help us not to ever look at these false prophets and envy them and look at what they're doing as success. Lord, help us always to maintain the right methods. Help us to do everything we can to reach people. Help us to remove every obstacle and every blockade. Lord, help us to do everything we can to identify with them but not to sin, 
not to go against your word, not to go against your law, not to conform to this world. Lord, I pray you'd help us to have the right motives. Help us to realize that we're in the game whether we want it to or not. We're enlisted whether we want to or not. And all we're saying when we don't try is that we just don't care. And then, Father, I pray that you would help us. Help us to learn to have some self-control. We're all weak at times. We're all tired at times. We're all emotional at times. We all get upset and get discouraged. But, Father, help us to just tell ourselves, you know what? I'm going to deny myself. I'm going to do what God has called me to do. Help us to learn to be temperate. Help us to learn to make our bodies submit. And help us, Lord, to live for you every day. We love you. In the name of Christ, we pray.